our guest for today is Filipino-Canadian voiceover artist Eric Bauza, who is the new voice of Bugs Bunny. He also got to work with LeBron James in the movie Space Jam, A New Legacy. Let's get to know more about him in this episode. Hi, Eric. Welcome to Stronger Together, the JMA Pinoy TV podcast. Hi, Tony. How are you? And thank you for having me on your program. You were born and raised in Canada. What was your childhood like? Do you speak Filipino? Born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So it was very cold, number one. And number two, I only know the swear words. That's it. I only know, uh, you know, the things I can't say on the show. Uh, but I am a proud Pinoy, proud Filipino in descent. And uh, my parents, uh, you know, are originally from our uh, motherland, from Navotas. And uh, they came into uh, Canada in the uh, mid-60s around that time. And yeah, I often think of our background, our heritage, of course, what our people have gone through and also have endured. Uh, they may not have snow, but they have other types of extreme weather in the Philippines. And, you know, just kind of life that they had before. I think about that and the kind of life that they wanted to provide for myself and, and for my brother is very commendable. And, uh, you know, we're, we're always very thankful. And But we also don't abandon our heritage. You know, we look back as often as we can and... We still have relatives in the Philippines as well. And, you know, the one thing that I love so much about uh, growing up uh, in Canada as a Filipino in culture was uh, looking at all the comedy films like uh, Tito, Tito, Vic and Joey and uh, Dolphy and uh, all of those uh, old school, old, old movies. Uh, that's what I grew up kind of watching. Have you been here to the Philippines or do, the, do your parents come and visit? They, they used to come and visit. They're much older now. I think if I'm going to go back home, uh, I'm going to have to do it on my own and uh, really make it a, a fun trip. I haven't been back yet, but uh, I am very curious to, to come back and visit. Were you raised in the Filipino way, tradition? Oh, yeah. I mean, just to be thankful for everything that you have because, you know, I'm coming from parents who were born and raised in the Philippines and you know, didn't have a lot of luxury. There wasn't, uh, they just got by, you know, and uh, I know that they had uh, immigrated one by one, all of my mom's side, and, but most of my father's side stayed in the Philippines, but uh, a lot of his nieces and nephews now live in Canada. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting. We, I get to, to learn from my mom's older, you know, siblings as well as my father's, you know, technically, you know, my cousins sort of, you know, like my, my younger cousins, I get to see a spectrum of both sides. So, but that's the one thing that I do pick up on is, yeah, we, I mean, like traditional Pinoy values, as well as just to be very thankful for all the opportunities that you, that you get and that you make for yourself. What's your favorite Filipino food? Oh man, that's like, uh, trying to pick your favorite child, right? Well, thank God I only have one son. And for me, my favorite Pinoy food is palabok, pancet palabok for sure. Who, who is the genius that came up with uh, noodles, chicharron, boiled egg, and shrimp all mixed up together? And then with a little bit of lemon on top. Yeah, good choice. How was it like growing up as a Filipino or Asian in Toronto? 
if you don't know Toronto, Ontario, and at least in the early 80s and the 90s, uh, you know, it was very multicultural, and it's still very multicultural. Toronto is very similar to kind of like a New York, I guess, as far as being a big melting pot. Uh, of course, Vancouver has their multiculturalism as well, but I feel like Toronto is very diverse, and uh, Filipino uh, Canadians are among the, the, the popular crowd. It was just nice to, to grow up around some familiar faces, and then, of course, other unfamiliar faces, just to experience what multiculturalism is all about and to learn from one another and to respect one another. Um, it's tough, you know, like I, I look at uh, uh, the kind of divide that's happening these days um, among people for different reasons. And I kind of, uh, you know, being a dad, I hope that I could bring back that old school mentality of, you know, love thy neighbor and just kind of just instill the goodness in him and and, and teach him not to see with colors, but just to see with, you know, with people feel like uh, it's it's life is tough as as it is, you know, that you don't have to make it any worse. Did you have a lot of uh, Filipino friends or, or Asian friends in high school? You kind of flock to some familiarity. I think when you're younger and growing up, you could be seen as, as, as kind of like, oh, no, kind of unsure, kind of scared. So what is familiar is often comforting. So I would often flock to uh, my Pinoy friends, Filipinos, Filipinas. And but I would also mix around, too. In high school, I was the popular one and in, in who could mix with all the crowds. Did you experience any discrimination? Luckily for me, you know, I, I never really experienced any traumatizing. I know it's a, it sounds like a bit of a miracle because I feel like at least one point in our lives, uh, you know, if you're different, if you're if you're short or you're not even if it's if this color of your skin, if it's, you're short or you're, you're too tall or you're too skinny or you're too fat, you're going to experience some kind of discrimination or feel kind of out of place. What kind of shows do you like watching as a kid? Like who were your favorite cartoon characters? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I'm a big fan of Tweety Bud. Ooh, I taught, I taught GMA Pinoy TV. Yeah, uh, I'm a huge Looney Tunes fan, if, if it wasn't already clear. Uh, I grew up watching the Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show, which were the reruns of the original shorts that were done in the golden era of animation uh, around 1940 onward, 50s, 60s. Uh, you know, Chuck Jones, Bob Clampett, Mel Blanc. Those were like the original people that were making Looney Tunes. The classics. And yeah. As a kid growing up in the in the early 80s and the 90s, I was exposed to the Looney Tunes on Saturday mornings. Looney Tunes aside, I liked uh, Batman, the animated series, you know, Super Friends, Hanna-Barbera, Yogi Bear, Flintstones, Jetsons. And uh, even like the you more- You watched a lot of cartoons. <laughs> I'm like a, I'm a, a human encyclopedia of cartoons. I know everything about those 80s cartoons, like Transformers, G.I. Joe, I, Ninja Turtles. I used to watch them all, but now I get to work on a lot of these shows, which for me as a kid is, is amazing. But as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Even as a kid, even in elementary school, in grade eight, growing up, I knew that I wanted to work with cartoons. I knew that I wanted to stay 
with animation. I used to draw before I did voiceover. I was an artist. And a lot of cartoons uh, that I was watching in the 90s were animated in the Philippines. The Philippines is a big source of uh, overseas animation uh, outside of Japan, China, Korea. You have more places like Ireland, India, as well as Canada even is considered overseas animation. But the Philippines is a, is a very big hub for overseas animation production. What were your first drawings? Like, what did you draw back then? I uh, loved Looney Tunes. I, I used to draw Bugs Bunny all the time. Before we could pause and play on our digital TVs, I used to record all of the shows on VHS. So I would record a show and then I would watch it again and press pause and then stop on a frame and then I would, you know, copy the frame as, as I would watch it. I was always the kid that other students would ask, can you draw this for me? Can you, can you, can you? Did you make money out of it? I should have, but you know, that's uh, Canadians for you. <laughs> so we're very polite. We, uh, we said, sure, you know. It was a good practice for you. Yes, actually, yes. It, it kind of gave me that business uh, sense of mind. You took up animation in college? Well, it's funny. I was excited to try to go into college for animation, but I got cold feet for some odd reason. I submitted my portfolio to Sheridan College, uh, and I got through the first round of portfolio review, and then they were going to go to the next level. And I thought, oh no, what? this is actually kind of hard. It's not as easy as I thought it was. Maybe I'm not good for this. Maybe this is not what I was meant to do. So then I, I didn't study animation in college. What I ended up going to school for, uh, and I remained in Toronto for my, my, my studies in college, was uh, radio, television, and film broadcasting. So it was a program at Centennial College uh, where, you know, John Candy, he's a famous uh, Canadian comedian and yeah. actor from SCTV, Second City Television Comedy. He actually graduated from Centennial. If you were to send me and drive me to a radio station, I could, I could edit, I could operate the, the booth, the motherboard. Uh, if you sent me to a TV station, I could switch cameras. I could also edit uh, film and audio. Uh, I could I could put in all the dialogue in the teleprompter for you. Uh, I could uh, uh, you know radio, television, and film. And film, you know, I was I was always on the set as a PA, you know, assisting. But it was in radio that I fell in love with with voiceover. It was with radio oh. that I was like, oh man, I this is what I really loved. You know, was I loved animation and I still draw. But, and I still worked in animation studios before I became a voiceover artist. Uh, when I graduated, uh, I moved to LA because I made friends here during my college internship, my work placement. And all of my friends kept encouraging me, move back to LA, you know, like you, you, you want to work in cartoons? And I said, yeah, I, I could have stayed in Toronto, but all of the friends that I made in my third year of college kept encouraging me to come back. Lucky for me, I had relatives here. Two of my mom's brothers live here. One of them unfortunately just passed away recently, but it was because of my two uncles that I was able to be here. I was staying with my, my aunt and uncle. I was sleeping in the guest room. And it's it good that you had, you know, family around, you know, su supporting yeah. you. 
And then eventually I, you know, I found, you know, my friend uh, bought a house and he needed a roommate, of course. And uh, I've been very fortunate. Were you into character voicing? Like even as a kid, would you, you know, impersonate your your friends' voices? Well, uh, the first voices that I heard was from my parents. Uh, you know, they always say, what do you want to eat today? You want uh, tocino and some uh, kanan, you know, rice and uh, what else? Uh, you know, I, that was it. Every <laughs> every every day was, uh, you know, all my relatives just, just hearing these different voices. Even as a kid, I didn't know if I was doing it right. You know, I didn't know if I was, if I have the accent right, or if whether it's Filipino or, like I said, I grew up with so many different cultures around me. So you hear different voices. I will always look back at high school as really uh, where I was fine tuning my ears. Like the training ground. Yes, if I was going to impersonate a teacher, you know, and get in trouble, then I knew I was doing a good job. Uh, but, you know, don't, don't make fun of your teachers, of course. I grew up around a lot of people who were able to, at least if not actually with them on television, were able to mimic and change their voices. Like Mel Blanc, you know, who created uh, Bugs Bunny. Uh, the same guy who did Bugs Bunny also did Daffy Duck, also did Marvin the Martian, also, I also did Foghorn Leghorn, and also did Sylvester. You know, he did all of those characters, and it was—it wasn't just different voices, but different personalities. You tried a hand in stand-up comedy. What happened to it? Like, are you still pursuing it? <laughs> stand-up comedy is—that is a completely different. Uh, you know, art form, and I have so much respect for uh, people who do stand-up comedy uh, because you're constantly out on the road and you're constantly on stage. You might not even be getting paid, you know? Like, stand-up comedy, there, there's not a lot of money in it up front. It's hard because uh, you really have to know your material. You really have to also be confident in yourself and in your own voice. You see, I think a lot of people that were around me thought I would be good at stand-up because I could do voices. And I always thought, oh, what if I just only did voices? It might not be that entertaining. I mean, comedy, you can't really make fun of someone these days without being careful. You have to be careful, right? But. I still think we should still be able to laugh at ourselves at the very least, you know, like there's still there's still comedy in that self-deprecating humor. I tried it for about almost two years. It's very hard. And uh, lucky for me, I have this voiceover booth. <laughs> this is this is my home. This is where I do all my comedy. What was the process like in trying to make it in this industry, in the voiceover industry? Like, is it harder for Asians to get a break? What I kind of noticed and came to realize about voiceover, it's, it's not about this. It's not about how you look. It's about how you sound and if you're able to convey those feelings and emotions, if you can act. That's the most important part of voiceover. Even if you're doing Bugs Bunny, you have to be able to convince the audience, Doc, that you are a rabbit just trying to eat carrots. I wonder what lumpia tastes like. You know, I, I also I, I want to make Warner Brothers animate him with lumpia now instead of a carrot. But um, it's all about the good acting because if you're a bad actor or actress, you could hear it, and as an audience, you know, everyone has something to say about a performance, 
And if it doesn't hold ground, even in cartoons, then then your career, you know, will be very quick and very short. However, if you practice and uh, keep at it and never give up, then uh, you will slowly start to build your career. You will slowly start to get experience because even trained actors come into the sound booth and there's no camera, right? So they have to get used to that. I don't think some some people I've seen get it right away. And there are other people that are still thinking about this, right? About their face and about how to move. But it's just seriously just about this. It's about your relationship to the microphone and your relationship with the script. So it's a more balanced field in a way. If anything, uh, it's more they're looking harder now because they can't find you, right? Like on camera, they see a cartoon character. Before, if you were on film, then they're like, oh, there he is, or there she is. Now I know. I'm so used to this ad, this performance. But if you take that person's face away and then you only put them in behind the microphone, you know, then you're like, oh, like now I'm listening. Now I'm going to listen and try to pay more attention. So if anything, it's a little harder. What was your first landed character role? I'm going to say, like, there was this Warner Brothers uh, cartoon called Coconut Fred's Fruit Salad Island. And it, it was in, like, the maybe 2003, the early 2000s, 2003. And it was kind of like Warner Brothers' attempt at making, like, a SpongeBob SquarePants uh, show. It's about these fruit that live on an, on an island, and I got to play these banana twins, slip and slide. They kind of sounded like hillbillies from the south. Hey, that's doing? That was like my first regular role in a cartoon, but I was still uh, being um, uh, paid as a Canadian actor because the main actor was still in the United States, and I just moved to LA. But the contract w was for Canadian actors only. So I'm Canadian, right? So I would have to fly to Vancouver, record my show, and then fly back to L.A. And it was so hard. It was so hard. But then eventually I landed a, uh, an American show called El Tigre, The Adventures of Manny Rivera, that was uh, created and directed by Jorge Gutierrez and Sandra Ikiwa. Uh, they just made a, a, a miniseries on Netflix called Maya and the Three. They also made a movie called Book of Life. Uh, they're from Tijuana, Mexico. And I played uh, Rodolfo Rivera, White Pantera, which was my impression of Ricardo Montalbán uh, from Fantasy Island. Yes, ah, yes. Uh, so that was, I think, my very first American job here in the United States, and that was in 2006. How did you land the role of Bugs Bunny? In around 2010, they were going to make a new show called The Looney Tunes Show. The whole point of the like, the premise and the, and the series was uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck were, were roommates. They lived together in a house, and in the neighborhood, all of the other characters lived as neighbors. And it was a completely different reimagining of, of these characters. You never really seen them like this before. A very modern take. But they didn't change the characters. But they did audition all of the characters. 
And the one character that I did get to voice for only a few episodes was uh, Marvin the Martian. Isn't that lovely? He's the alien with the uh, with the Spartan helmet and the tutu. And he has Converse. He likes to wear Converse sneakers. The other voices went back to uh, some of the other guys and girls that have been doing it for since Mel Blanc passed away in 1989. But that was really the first time that they auditioned these characters in probably almost a decade. And and then after that show was done, they didn't audition Bugs Bunny again for another 10 years. So I had been voicing Marvin the Martian for almost a decade, and then they were coming out with this new show called Looney Tunes Cartoons, which is the one that's on HBO Max now. And I play Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Daffy Duck. We can't forget about Daffy Duck uh, and, and, and Tweety Bird and Marvin. So I had to audition for it. And it, it's a hard thing to do because everyone loves Bugs Bunny. Everyone knows what Bugs Bunny is supposed to sound like. And uh, it's, it's a really hard voice to do. And if you get it just a little bit off, then people go, Ugh. it's like it's like hearing a record scratch, you know, like... Uh, it doesn't sound good to the ears, so you have to be on point all the time. Anytime these new stories are pitched or they're made, you have to audition again and again and again. You have to be prepared to read for it again. Uh, and that just is, that's part of the game. That's part of, that's part of acting and show business. Was there a time during recording where they ask you to do and record the other characters as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of um, they they may or may not use it in the final production. Uh, we call that uh, recording scratch dialogue, temporary dialogue, uh, because they need the performance uh, for the animators to do the work, and then later they will replace it with uh, the right performer, or uh, sometimes a celebrity. You know, uh, that we, we voiceover performers have to uh, we're, we're in the face of that now. We're getting uh, a celebrity to do a voice above you is commonplace now. How many characters have you done so far? I've had a very lucky uh, career where I get to uh, pay homage to characters and, and series that helped raise me as a kid. Are there any other dream roles that you would want to do? Batman. I've never voiced Batman before. Maybe because I'm too goofy. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm not serious enough to voice Batman. You know, uh, I would love to voice Batman, but uh, that's a role that I, or the Joker. I haven't voiced the Joker before. But, you know, those are some very, very tough roles. And, uh, you know, for me, those two characters will always be Kevin Conroy and, of course, Mark Hamill as the Joker. Uh, you know, they're such amazing performers that it's really hard to hear anyone else but them in those roles. Before we continue our conversation with Eric, let's have a quick break. Ang mga kapuso shows, mapapanood at mapapakinggan din abroad via GMA Pinoy TV, GMA Live TV, at GMA News TV channels. Para mag-subscribe, visit www.gmapinoytv.com. Follow us at GMA Pinoy TV on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Viber, and TikTok for the latest updates on kapuso programs. 
artists, events, promos, and more. Salamat kapuso! The past two years had been the time we spent making, baking, planting, renovating, laughing, adding, and trying. But no matter what life throws at us, there will always be something to lift our spirits and give us sparks of hope. We invite you to tell us your stories with shots and snippets of the things that helped you survive this pandemic. Send your snapshots and stories to pinoyinbox at gmanetwork.com and we'll feature them on our newest inspirational segment, Pockets of Hope, on GMA Pinoy TV. Welcome back. Now we're going to talk about Eric's experience working with LeBron James in the movie Space Jam, A New Legacy. How did you feel like when you found out you were going to be in the Space Jam sequel with LeBron James? Like what was the experience like meeting him and recording with him? I started out again recording temporary dialogue for that movie. They always said, this is just temporary. So just, just so you know. So not to get my hopes up or not to, you know, think that I was already there. But while you're in that position, you have to imagine, I have to give it not just 100%. And if you're in the same room with LeBron, a world, you know, he's, world LeBron. Class, he's LeBron James, you have to be a champion. You have to perform like these characters, like it's, it's, this is the final cut, you know? <laughs> so that's how I felt when I was in the room working with LeBron. I was performing like this was it, like it was the final cut. And I think that's what led me to uh, being in the movie. Because again, they always told us, like I didn't audition for it. I just was reading temporary dialogue. One day they just turned around and said, you're gonna be in the movie. And I said, oh my God. Because again, I watched the original movie in theaters multiple times in 1996, 1997, I watched it at least three or four times in the theaters. <laughs> yes, Space Jam. How did LeBron react when you were doing all these voices? He was very, you know, Im impressed. Uh, he was, I think LeBron is so, he is such a champion in what he does and he's so focused and he does take what he does on the court with him everywhere. How he approaches his work as an actor. He can't waste any time, right? Every moment that he's spending away from the basketball court is a moment that he's not practicing for the for the championship. So he has to, with what limited time he has in the booth, he has to be 110%. And I got that feeling. So when I was in there, I felt like I was doing drill, basketball drills with him and practice with him. And, you know. That's so cool. It's very cool. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you, you gain a lot of respect for the guy in that sense. And he expects it from you too, you know? Because he's producing the film anyways too, right? So he, he probably went through that uh, phase of, I can't believe I'm doing this. How do you prepare for a character? Like what's your technique preparing for it? Just like uh, any uh, performer out there, if you're represented by an agency, they'll send you an email with an audition. And usually in that audition is just like, you know, one sheet of paper. If you're lucky, you'll have an image of what the character looks like. They'll, they'll have a design for you to see. So then you could see if he's like a big guy. Or uh, maybe like a very small person, you know. Or someone with a Scottish accent, right? He might have a really big mustache. Or he could be an ancient samurai. You never know. 
But there's so many different characters, right? There's so many different stories to be told. And you'll get an audition. And like I said, you might have a, an image or you might have a, a paragraph describing what the character is like, where the character is in the story, how the character operates in relation to the other characters. You could be the main character. You could be the main character's best friend. You could be the love interest. You could be the parents. You could be the wizard. You could be the evil villain. And then you will have about several lines of dialogue that will portray emotions. And then you have to read them. You have to kind of use your imagination now and imagine what that character is going to sound like. Because even people that make the show, sometimes they don't even know what the character sounds like. So then they, they ask the performer, give us an audition, you know, act, let, let us- Like bring let us life to this character. Interpret this character for us. And then something might happen. Magic might happen. You might be the person that we were thinking one way and then you started reading and you gave us a completely different uh, approach. And then you're hired. One of my colleagues was saying, that's the job. Auditioning is the job. And then getting to work is the paid vacation. You know, that's a very smart quote because auditioning is the work. Auditioning is the job. Everyone does it every day and not everyone gets the one job, right? They're, they're only looking for one voice. And sometimes it's down to just two people. It's always just down to two or three people. And at that point, you're there, you're at the finish line for a reason. The good part and the good news about this to any young performer listening is that even if you don't get the job, even if you have a callback audition and you're so close, they'll think about you for something else. They'll always remember you and go, you know, even though Tony, she was so close, so close, we're going to make a character for her because we like her and we think that she sounded great and we're gonna put her in something else. So you can turn that into like an opportunity, like down yeah. the road. And if it happens more often, because like, like I said, in animation too, it's like the world is very small, right? Like we keep working on things and then when it's over, you take maybe a little break or you start working on something else with other people. And then sometimes you get back with the same people. And then they think about you when they're making these shows. They go, you know who would be really good for this? Eric, he would be very good for this. You never know who you're gonna meet in the, the next day in your job or in your life because they might be with you forever. You know, so aside from doing a good job uh, acting, the other big piece of advice for anyone that is listening is just to be a good person, <laughs> you know, be nice to your friends and your colleagues and, and be on time, but also be the person that they want to hire back. Yeah. How do you handle rejections? I know it's, it's cliche to, to say it, and I know it's, it's hard advice to take because I've definitely been heartbroken by uh, a role that I've never booked, right? A, a big role that you know it's gonna be a good show. You know, it, you, you have to be a part of this thing and then you don't get it. Sometimes it's, it wasn't meant to be, you know, sometimes it's not yours. And you know, the cliche thing to say is that it, don't take it personal, it's just business. And they're not saying no with evil intent. Like, you know, like I said, it's like they, if, if you almost got the part, then 
that's that's when it that's when it hurts, right? Because you think you're so close. The only thing that you can do is try again. Because if you stop trying, then that's it. If you take yourself out, then you're never gonna know what it feels like to win. You know. So take that energy and turn it into positive energy to boost yourself up for the next one. Because there's new shows happening every day. There's always something new, a new story to be told. Or if you live in today's society, there's so many remakes and reboots <laughs> and reimaginings. You know, I've, I've, I've worked on all of them and it's a, it's, it's a job, you know? Like, like, I know I'm not gonna be the last person to voice Tweety, so I'm gonna enjoy it while I can. <laughs> and I'm going to invite the next generation with open arms and say, come on, there's there's room for everyone. Is there like a form of training for, you know, doing character voicing? Can you learn it even at any age? I think so. Yeah. I may have been doing it already and not even know it. You know, especially if you're someone like me. As a kid, I watched a lot of cartoons. So I was listening to a lot of different voices and trying to do those voices, right? And if you're a kid, you kind of just sound like a kid making voices, right? But as you get older and your voice changes, you start to realize what you can and can't do with your voice, how you can manipulate the sound of your voice. So I say, no matter what age, even if you're, you know, 70 years old, 80 years old, it's not too late. Well, Mel Blanc or June Foray, you know, she was the voice of Granny, also Rocky from Rocky and Bullwinkle, the, the squirrel. She was working until she was uh, 93, I think. Oh, wow. You know, she was working that late in her life and still enjoying it. How do you take care of your voice? Oh, man. Well, just drink lots of water, really. Like, keep... Keep hydrated. Keep That's it? No, like ginger or anything? Uh, or ginger's good for a cold. If you have a cold, <laughs> or it's it's really good in uh, Sinigang or uh, in uh, Lugao. But you stay away from cold drinks or from, you know, like no, no late nights for you? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's really bad for your voice. I don't know what's good for your voice, but I know it's bad for your voice is, you know, when, when people go, hey, you want to go to a party? Or if you want to go to a dance club or if you want to go to a bar and you go to the bar, what's the first thing you see is a big crowd of people, right? And there's loud music, right? So as soon as you get there, you have to start yelling at your friend like, hey, I'm having a good time. And if you do that for like two hours straight, oh my gosh, that is the worst thing you could do. And then the next day you have a session, it's over. But yeah, I feel like uh, getting a lot of rest is a good thing is a good thing for you, right? Not having to overexert your voice, like say at a party. If you do go to a party, just say hi and then leave. <laughs> yeah, drinking, uh, mention cold drinks. A lot of people prefer room temperature water versus cold water, because cold water will uh, constrict the voice. It'll tighten up the muscles. Uh, so it's always good to keep it, it uh, you know, drink tea maybe, or, or, or like a warm drink. And for me, I think that's about it. I can't really think of anything else. Does your son know that you're Bugs Bunny? Like, do you do these voices at home? Absolutely, yes. He even knows when it's me doing Bugs Bunny and when it's the other guy doing Bugs Bunny. Oh, he, wow. Like, like we'll, we'll watch TV. We'll watch cartoons. For instance, there's a, a show that was on uh, Netflix. 
produced by DreamWorks called Fast and the Furious Spy Racers. It was a kid's cartoon with Vin Diesel and uh, the other Fast and the Furious uh, universe, all the cars. My son's five years old. He loves uh, cartoons just like his father, but he loves cars and he loves race cars. And we're watching Fast and the Furious one day and I'm in the kitchen, I'm making lunch. And he goes, dad, come here. Is this you? He said, is this you? And then he rewound it. And it was my voice, but I'm doing a German accent. I was playing a German character. And he knew it was me. He knew it was me. And, uh, you know, when we're with his friends at the schoolyard, I'll be on my phone on the bench, you know, making sure he doesn't fall down. And he goes, Dad, come here, come here. And he goes, do the voice. And I go, hey, what's up, Doc? And he goes, okay, you can go away now. He's like my, ma he's like my manager. Uh, but yeah, he, he knows. And I have a feeling he's going to be in voiceover too. <laughs> we can't wait for that. <laughs> what's the hardest part about your job? Oh, man, being an adult. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm having too much fun, and I forget that I have to do things like pay my taxes and uh, take out the garbage. Some of the hardest things to do is just staying employed, because once you leave the sound booth, you're technically unemployed until they call you back. What do you love most about your job and the most rewarding part of it? Uh, again, paying homage and giving back to the characters that help shape my sense of humor and my career and my life, but also inspiring uh, people. When I started out, no one was really talking about what I was doing, right? And which is fine. You could go in this career. Like a lot of people love voiceover because you don't get recognized when you go shopping. You don't, you know, there's no one there to say, hey, is that, are you so-and-so? No one's going to bug you. But now if you're working on these big projects, you know, people will start talking about you. People will start, people like GMA Pinoy TV will want to talk to you. And I never, in a, I never in a million years would ever think that I would be sitting here talking with you guys. And I am now, and I'm very thankful. It's very rewarding for me to, to talk to people that are willing to listen and especially that are representative of your heritage and your background and your culture, like GMA Pinoy TV. You have come a long way and have you know, accomplished a lot. Has it sunk in yet being recognized and being able to represent our culture in this industry? Uh, it's still taking a little uh, getting used to, I think. And I think that's a good thing. I think that you should always be on your, uh, on your toes. Uh, I don't think you should ever settle and, and just be like, eh, whatever. Like, I still get excited when I work. Uh, I still get the same uh, goosebumps and the same butterflies in your stomach when you uh, put on these headphones and give a performance. And to know that it, it, it's something that people will be entertained by, but if it's going to be something that's going to influence people who share the same face as, as us, I think that's amazing. I think that's, even if it's someone that doesn't share the same face, but is just afraid to use their voice, I think that's important. I think it's, it's uh, you have to encourage people to not give up on their dreams or give up on themselves because they're depriving us of a good performance. You know, they're depriving us of, uh, of their skills and their talent. 
and especially depriving themselves if they if you don't give yourself a chance. What other advice can you give aspiring voiceover artists? Just being good about uh, we've talked about uh, being a good person, being very personable and sensitive to other people's time, and uh, you know you're not the only person on the job that is here to make a good story. So just be a team player, and again, just be that person that they want to invite back to the show. You know, be the person that they they want to work with. Thank you, Eric, for being such an inspiration to so many Filipinos. We are so proud of you for being the first Filipino Canadian to do the voice of the iconic Bugs Bunny. And more power, Ed Mabuhayka, Eric Bauza. Eh, salamat. And uh, the other, the other, the uh, that's all, folks. Stronger Together, the GMA Pinoy TV podcast is an original production of GMA International. This episode is produced by Gerald Vista and edited by Anton Taguidon. Yeah!